punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello there, welcome to Nesson Bruins Podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. The Bruins season is over, and we are here to discuss. Logan, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's a little weird that, you know, we're doing our end of the season podcast this year. Was it about two and a half months later than we did last year? But the Bruins lost two rounds earlier. That is, yeah, that's how it goes. That is wild fast. stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's also weird. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've not, you know, not to borrow a line from Brad Marchand, but. Uh, I feel like we just wasted a bunch of time. <laughs> sure. Going it, over, you know, yeah. it, the, not I mean, the at least they didn't hockey. lose in the first round. No, I know. But like the six weeks or whatever we did, or like the three months of just being like, will they come back? I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. It'd be cool if they come back. Right. And then they came back and now it's over. It just had like, it is never weird. a lack of finality. Like it always seems sudden, even if you could see it coming. And yeah. that's kind of where I think it's at. It is weird because, like, I, I actually was thinking about that last night. How I was like, or maybe it was even this morning that, you know, we've it's been about two months since training camp started, and we've spent all this time like gearing up for that. And you know, when you do that for a regular season, you have eighty-two games, and then the postseason, yeah, and then you right. just go right into the playoffs, and it's it's fine. But this was weird in that we basically just killed time for three months being like maybe they'll come back maybe they won't and you know doing what we could to kind of tread water and then we had something of substance to talk about and that lasted all of six weeks like the time that we actually have spent since the league shut down back in March talking about like actual hockey things as opposed to will they start again has been less than the than the latter so we spent more time talking about logistics than we have the actual hockey itself but which seems fitting the way it all turned out I guess I don't know um let's get into it let's kind of figure out what went wrong or at least kind of reflect I don't know how you want to say it you know it is what it is but uh Bruins losing five games to the Lightning uh I neither of us picked the Bruins to win this series right no I had Lightning in seven yeah I think I had them in six so not very surprising from that regard. Um, yeah, I guess where did this go wrong for the Bruins in your estimation? Uh, not nearly good enough five on five. Yeah. Um, I think is probably the big thing. Um, and, and then just missed opportunities, I guess. Like you look at game five, for example, they get that power play late in the game. Like you can put it away right there. Right. And like they, it was little things like that. I don't know outside of like subpar five on five play. I don't know if it was anything big so much as like a bunch of little things. Yeah. And you know, there were some lineup decisions I didn't necessarily agree with. Like I thought they probably should have gone to Stanika a little bit earlier in the series, like little things like that were like, in every way that the Bruins weren't quite good enough, the Lightning were just good enough, which made, like, basically this 
chasm between the two where it was like, you know, after when the Bruins lost and got completely waxed in game three, you kind of knew it was over at that point. Um, And the reason that was the case for me that I thought that was sort of the nail in the coffin for them was the fact that Bruce Cassidy said it was like, they didn't have a response. Like that game took a while before it got really out of hand. Like the Bruins could have kept that game in control and they didn't. And when they showed that sort of lifelessness against a team like Tampa that sent them down in the series, it just, it didn't look promising. So for me, it was a bunch of little moments throughout the series that you just looked at it and all of a sudden it became this type of thing where it was like, you know what, this just isn't their year. Yeah, the psychology of it is fascinating too, where it's how does your response factor level change by your surroundings and your situation? Like, does being in Toronto and being having to go through all of this make you less likely to kind of punch back when you get punched in the mouth, uh, you know, in game three or whatever? Uh, I don't know. And you would think if there was any team that was suited to handle it, it'd be the Bruins. Then again, maybe if the Bruins weren't able to handle it, it kind of tells you the difficulty that it takes to kind of play through this situation. So that's something to keep in mind. I do think that's why ultimately whoever wins this thing is going to have earned it, obviously. I mean, it's, right. You know, maybe it's not going to be the best team, but it's going to be a team that was able to kind of channel its motivation and its focus in the right direction for, you know, six weeks in the middle of a foreign territory, basically. Um, With the Bruins, they weren't, you know, Lightning were clearly the better team. That's why we both picked them. But, like, it also wasn't like they – this you know, the the Lightning ran them out of the building every game except for, you know, game three. I think it was – pretty close too. like there are I don't this is not an excuse I think this is a fact the Bruins did not get any bounces whatsoever almost to no, it well they, they did, did get happen. one they got one in game five when uh somebody's stick broke in front and the puck just trickled right to Krejci and he was able to tie it up other than that it was like it was almost comical like there was the the goal in game four that kind of like trickled down or right at the end they do a hell of a job right incredible job killing off the five minute penalty to, to Richie and there's 30 seconds left and a puck gets deflected, goes up over, you know, Halak rolls down his back. Basically it's a goal that, you know, anybody's ever played NHL 14 on PlayStation three. Uh, it's one where the goalie always falls down on it. It's like this, uh, you know, this cliche movement that it has where the puck goes, rolls up, rolls down his back, he falls down and covers it. And it doesn't work that way in real life. Yeah. So you had that, like how many deflections? Yeah. Right. The, not, the deflections were there. Like, um, they, it just was, you know, they didn't get a necessarily, you know, the Bruins didn't get a ton of bounces in front. And, you know, they also didn't do a great job of earning those either. I think, you know, you can call them bounces, you can call them whatever, but like you go back and you look at uh, Hedman's, you know, the, the series winner, like there is a ton of traffic in front and Hawak had no chance to see that puck. Bruins couldn't do that, and that's a credit to to Tampa. Like, I think their defense is that good. It keeps them out of the front of the net. Like, those different – those little things. And that's kind of, too, where if you're able to do that, that's where you start to get the bounces. So, it's not really – you know, it's, I'm not sitting here saying, like, the Bruins got unlucky. It's just they didn't do enough to create those bounces. Well, and I think there are a few guys for Tampa who 
were in a position where they basically were either a difference maker or were knocking on the door all series and got some bounces to go their way in the way that in ways that the Bruins couldn't. So like, well, I think of Andre Kasha had yeah. a few good stretches where it's like, you know, he was about as snake bitten as they come, but you think, okay, maybe he's going to, you know, lock out and score a big goal here. But like, you know, Andre Palat in game five looked fantastic all game comes up with that big tip in goal. Uh, Braden Point looked great all series. Like those guys, when the Lightning needed them to come through, they did. For the Bruins, they couldn't quite get that. And, and again, that goes back to the the little things all over the place. To that point too, like Bruins third line. You look at the numbers. Bruins third line on in Game Five. You know that Bjork, Coyle, Stanika group, which you, I didn't expect a ton out of they carried play every time they touched the ice, they didn't score. So it's like, yeah, it was just one of those ones where they couldn't break through. There's even some weird angle shots where that, it feels like that would have went in if it was off the, you know, off a Braden point stick, but it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you, again, I think a lot of it is self-induced or self-made, but it's just something where it was kind of, kind of weird. Then, you know, but the, the counter to that too, and I think the, you know, more in, so, man, this is – I'm trying to think of how I want to lay this out. Uh, Halak is not the reason the Bruins lost the series. No. Uh, and I do think a lot of that is the bounce stuff we talked about. I think the series is lost, however, when he allowed that goal that just went off his glove in game four. Like that, I think – That was a backbreaker. Yeah, and I think that's where he's like – that. so if you think – you know, you sit here and say game three is where it ended, I think that was the goal where it's like, huh, they had a little bit of pushback before that. You need them to just kind of keep them where they're at and give them a chance, and it just didn't happen. So, yeah, uh, he he kept him in Game Five. Yeah, he was awesome in Game Five. It was, I think, it was it was by far his best game of the series, one of his best games as a Bruin. Um, and you know, he didn't wasn't tested maybe as much as Vasilevsky, but it felt like every time he was tested, it was a a high danger chance. So, um, yeah, he kept them in that game, especially early, uh, and especially with some you know there was a little bit of Tampa pushback after the Bruins really kind of controlled the third period in overtime, or at least the second half of the third period in the overtime. So, um, you know, by and large, not a whole lock problem at all. Like the yeah. fact that he was able to do what he did and the situations in which he did, it was pretty impressive as well. I, so I don't think it was a whole lock problem, but at the same time, I ask. Yeah, like that hurts, right? And and that's a tough thing. Like the, the anti-Tukarask crowd will look at that and say, you know, well, Tuka's tinkled down his leg before in big games. Like, how do you know that that one doesn't tip off of Rask's glove either? How do you know he doesn't have a meltdown in game three? You know, it's unfair to say Halak had a meltdown in game three. But, like, it's just the only person that could have changed the course of the series for the Bruins that they just didn't have available was Tuka Rask. Like, yeah. if you want to make a really, really far-fetched argument, you could say maybe having Kevin Miller available helps. But, like, in terms of what's actually realistic, like, having Tuka Rask would have helped, like, point blank. And I don't know if we want to dive into all this right now, but I think the same – knuckle-dragging group that was clamoring for a Nick Ritchie-type player was also generally the same type of fan or individual that clamors for 
them to start Halak over Rask. And while Halak certainly kept the Bruins in the series, he did not do enough to like steal it for him. Like you, you got enough from Halak at the absolute like baseline at the absolute minimum. Whereas there were times in as recently as 2019, where you got exactly what you needed from Rask and more, you didn't often, except for game five, you really didn't get the and more from Rask or from Halak. Which is why, you know, the game seven thing last year is really an unfortunate thing for Tuka Rask. Cause like, right. And Mars that entire postseason for him. Yeah, and, like, they got to game seven of the Stanley Cup final because of him. And, like, they couldn't get past the second round in large part because they didn't have him this time around. Granted, big caveat here, uh, these games were played in Toronto in a bubble for starters. And they had to play Tampa this year. They didn't have to play Tampa last year. So, who knows how different this would have been. Because, by the way, sample size is growing. When the Bruins have to play Tampa – in the playoffs, it doesn't turn out very well for them. 10-2 uh, right now, right? Yeah, the this is a, a carbon copy almost of, you know, what that 2018 – There were times that they had way more life in 2018, too, yeah. I thought. Like, and the same thing. They they won like they looked impressive in game one, and then they kind of just were outmatched, men amongst boys in some regards. And just – that's probably unfair to the Bruins. But, uh, you know, a pretty clear talent advantage for Tampa – and not just that, and I think this kind of gets into roster construction. I think Tampa is certainly better suited to play hockey in 2020, you know, what the NHL is now. Yeah. And I think part of that's, you know, Rask is, you know, you build a really strong defensive system like the Bruins have. And, you know, you let's, you know, the Bruins are paying $7 million for Tuka Rask to be a number one elite goalie, and he is. So if he's not there, you know, everything else that you have, maybe little flaws or deficiencies are going to stand up even more. And when it comes to, you know, maybe overall team speed, it kind of shows itself a little bit more if you're chasing two goals because your goalie can't stand on his head. Or, you know, if you don't have the second line uh, right wing depth, which I guess, you know, that the jury's out on that with how Kasha looked. But just these little things are always going to seem bigger than they act or bigger than they did with Tuka Net when he's not in net. Well, and you can – make the argument like bear with me here but like you could say the trade deadline is when tampa won the series right oh my god yeah like getting blake coleman and barclay goodrow and putting them with yanni gord on that third line like whereas if you look at those two right there and like the lightning even got zach bogosian who ended up logging some big minutes in the series too but like bruins got andre kasha and nick ritchie to address their issues tampa gets blake coleman and barclay goodrow the the not necessarily the overall talent gap but like the contributions they got from those respective players made a monumental difference in the series when you consider what the middle six slash third line looked like for the Bruins like when they made those trades they trades they were not envisioning having to healthy scratch Nick Ritchie right like and they were assuming you probably get more than zero goals from Andre Kasha but like Coleman and Goodrow were as advertised. I mean, you know how I felt about Blake Coleman. I was beating that drum for literal months, even prior to the trade deadline. And it's like, when the Lightning did that and added the depth that they did, like they just, it was all those little moves that helped them out. I mean, they won that series having missed Ryan McDonough for most of it and Steven Stamkos for all of it. Yeah, and, and they still look like their depth like vastly well, outweighed the Bruins. 
Jones. And they didn't have Nikita Kucherov for half and of the game. They didn't have Kucherov because, according to NBC, he got shot and killed from the Raptors. <laughs> but it was just, yeah, the, there's, I, I don't think Don Sweeney did a bad job of building the roster. I think Tampa might have just done a little better or have positioned themselves better for this. Because my thing, my thing with Coleman, I didn't think Barclay Goodrow would be as good as he had been. But my thing with Coleman was like, that's a guy that will play with edge that you can actually like lean on to provide a little bit of scoring. I think they thought that's what they were going to get with Richie, but just it didn't pan out that way. And he doesn't, he doesn't have the track record that Blake Coleman does. Um, so again, little things, but like you can make the case that that was the moment, the trade deadline where Tampa took the step that just put them ahead of the Bruins. True. Although it is some of a risk and it becomes even more of a risk or uh, not a risk, but a gamble. I don't, I guess that's the same thing, but, um, crapshoot. Uh, and then because that becomes even more pronounced when you take three months off. So. Right. Yeah. Again, that's the big thing with this Bruins team too. And maybe I guess we can just go into that now. Um, unless you have any other big takeaways from, from the series. Uh, what exactly, you know, to our best ability, how much did this layoff affect the Bruins? Do you think? Um, it's hard to say it didn't impact them at all. Um, I, I don't know. I, maybe it did hurt them a little bit, but I think that excuse only goes so far because of how other teams are playing. Like it would be one thing if there were that many, if there were just any number at all of odd results going down in this postseason. but like, okay, the Islanders, who were very good last year, not as good this year, if they get through, they'll be the biggest surprise. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like Vegas, Dallas, Tampa, like those are all teams we thought for a while would be good. So, you know, it good teams found a way to win. And maybe it's – and that's not saying the Bruins aren't a good team, but, like, I guess it impacted them. But I think at the end of the day, they just – weren't as good as the team that they got matched up against in the second round. Maybe if they end up playing the Islanders in the second round or the Flyers, they fare a little bit better. Like it's no secret that they hadn't played well against Tampa all season, but I don't know. I think, I think if they had lost in the first round, you can make the argument of like, maybe they were bad in the round Robin because of the layoff. Maybe they, could have been a little bit sharper against Carolina, but like they were far enough down the road now where to me, that excuse doesn't fly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, but yes and no. Uh, is it, is it an excuse or is it just, you know, do you think they had, would have had a better chance to win the Stanley cup if the season just played on through and sure. they, huh? It's sure. Yeah, I guess. But like, yeah. What is that? You know, what are we proving by, by making that? It's, it's such a hard thing to quantify. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, well, the other thing, too, is if that happens, you probably don't lose Tuka Rask. Um, maybe, I don't know, who knows. Uh, so, I guess that's part of it as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's – I'm still trying 
to cope with this brave new world of the you know playoff hockey in August and September in the in, in these circumstances. So I'm not even sure what I'm looking for or what it actually should look like. I will say I've I think I've struggled with it more than other people to be like really get into it. Uh, overtime in Game Five, especially the first one, the Bruins looked like world beaters. I was like, oh, now they look engaged, so I'm more engaged. Not to say that there is a lack of engagement, but at first. For a little while there, when they're going back and forth, it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is what it should look like. And those moments felt few and far between to me, more so than they probably should. So maybe that's, maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe that has something to do with the layoff. I'm not sure. But it, it didn't feel – it very rarely felt like it felt during the regular season, which is not entirely surprising, by the way, yeah. because, like, you're playing better teams now. So, obviously, it's not going to be as easy for you. But it's just, in my opinion, it never felt like it was completely clicking for the Bruins, whether it was the round robin, the Carolina series, or this one. And I'm not sure if that's because of the layoff or just a coincidence. And well, I don't think we'll ever be able to know. I I could be totally off on this. But, like – was there any team more dismissive of the entire process than the Bruin? Like, no. and I get that they were of, of the 24 teams that came back, they were the ones most adversely affected by the format. Like, yes, it absolutely hosed them. However, you have Rask, Marshawn, and Krejci off the top of my head, basically dismissing the round robin games as preseason. Um, talking about the environment, like outside of general acknowledgement from general acknowledgement that it was different and a little weird. You didn't really see that a lot from other teams. Um, As far as I know, maybe I'm missing something, but you had, it felt like a different Bruins player every day, kind of lamenting the circumstances and that level of borderline apathy or, in indifference I don't know it just it, ever since the round robin it just it seemed weird and then some of the comments that they were making talking about the environment it, it was just I don't know I never got the impression that they necessarily were as engaged as they probably should have been and like I, I'm not gonna pass judgment because right they did get hosed by the circumstance and it is a weird circumstance like weird stuff was gonna happen and they had, you know, training camp was bizarre with the Pasternak and Kasha storylines. Very early on in the postseason, they lose to Rask. Like, there were just – there were a lot of distractions. It was an unusual situation. It was one that they wouldn't have been in had the season not stopped. And so, like, I, I get it. But, again, how far do those excuses or, you know, whatever you want to call them go? Um I don't know, but like it, it, they just seemed to be a lot more put off by the process than other teams. And and if you are that way, fine. But like that's the result you're going to get, right? You know? Yeah. Like well, Taylor Swift I, says, you play stupid games, you'll win stupid prizes, right? Yeah. So. But I guess you know you kind of if you're the Bruins, you hope it goes the other way and you use it as motivation. I but I don't know. It's so again, it's. And this is the thing that has been difficult as well, is we're applying these, you know, we're applying these principles that we've learned or theorized or discovered over the course of our sports watching lives that just don't apply right now. So 
it's also hard to make that distinction because we have no idea what it's like for them to to play through this and you know it, it hits different people others uh, it hits people differently than others so well and i can see how it would be for an older team like the bruins how it would be more emotionally taxing sure because a lot more of those guys probably have families than some of the younger teams um yeah I do. that's a, again that's yeah. i i can't i can't fathom being away from my even just you know a, a partner like i can't imagine being away from them for that long and having it be in for like six weeks to lose in the second round Right. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't even if they were if they had gotten through that, they would have been halfway done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they'd have to I mean, I guess maybe it's a blessing to leave and go to Edmonton, which is something that I don't think anyone's ever really said. But um yeah, it's tough. I again, like I said, credit to anyone who does it. And that'll be an interesting thing. That's a good point that you brought up with like the them being an older team, more veteran laden team, uh family oriented team, you know we kind of looked at the age thing and said, well, are they going to be able to get going? And maybe we should have been looking at it saying, are they going to be able to be away from home that long and not have it affect them? Whereas, so maybe we end up getting two young teams in the Stanley cup final, like we expected all along, but it's for different reasons that we may have imagined. So um, I don't know. Again, it's going to be a fascinating case study for years to come after this and kind of look at how this entire pause affected, not just the season, but, you know, organizations like the Bruins, how does it affect, you know, what if Tampa finally gets its Stanley Cup here? And it's like, this is a weird spot for, you know what I mean? There's there's so much on the line or there's going to be so much affected legacies uh, impacted that we're just starting to kind of get into this. But that is what it is. Uh, speaking of legacies, I guess we can, we can dive into Zdeno Chara, who you texted me this and I forgot to – text you back so i apologize for that <laughs> you texted me i had some other things going on but uh yes you know is the char gonna retire after you know tonight you said right well, after the game and doc emmerich it feels like knew something because doc emmerich was going out of his way to talk about like how this could have been the final game for char in a bruins uniform and you know he's like let's step away from hockey for a second and talk about human beings and like char's contract is up and he is what 43 44 43 so if he leaves, it's not, you know, if he retires, it's not surprising. I, I think it's far more likely he retires than signs somewhere else. But, you know, there certainly feels like a, a natural end here if you wanted to, to be done. Uh, but that was that was weird. Like, I don't know where that was coming from. And Chara, after the game, said, nah, I'm good. I'm Like, I'm not going to make my decision yet. Like, I'll let you know. So You know what was weirder than Doc's soliloquy during the handshake lines? was the call on the Krejci goal. Yeah. Did you listen to that where they're like, Chara doesn't want to call it quits. Yeah. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever heard. And I was listening to that. I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Like, I thought I had missed something. I literally thought I had missed some sort of like pregame declaration from Chara. And like, <laughs> this was it. Like, <laughs> it's like, I know well, I've been off the grid for like a week, but I don't think I've been like that much with my head in the sand. And so I wonder – like to that point it's also interesting like i don't know if they're doing production meetings like they usually right. do so like it's not like emmerich is in the rink and talking to chara like i maybe he talked to him i don't know but it, so i don't know where he's getting that from but. well i think was it keith jones i think who made that remark mm-hmm. um during the crazy goal it's like keith jones was in the studio in connecticut yeah um, so it's just, it, it was very weird, and it seemed like a very bad time for it, too, especially since Krejci was the one that scored the goal. Um, but it, it was weird because 
I had heard basically no murmurs about that up until they started running wild with it in during game five of the NBC broadcast. Um, so who knows? I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I don't think he's going to play anywhere else. So, no. Like you said, like, I, I think he sooner retires than plays somewhere else. I think if you're the Bruins, I mean, you have to let Chara call his own shot here, right? So, yeah. like, especially because he's been agreeable to signing for cheap. If he says, I still want to play and I'll play for another $2 million deal that's loaded with incentives, then you, you just got to draw up the contract for him right then. Um, I do think if he comes back, though, I don't know how agreeable he would be to this, but, like, I think you have to change his role a little bit. Like, he's still the captain, but I think you need to start looking at other options on the first pairing. Um, I, I think that might be part of it. Um, but I, if you tell him all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be skating on the third pairing with Connor Clifton and playing 15 minutes a night, I don't know. He might say, go pound sand and retire. Yeah. It's uh... – it's going to be even more difficult to kind of figure out too when you when you consider. I don't think there's a lot of optimism about Tory Krug returning. So like, doesn't seem like there is. No. So if if they're both gone, then that's two enormous spots you have to fill. And if Krug is gone and Chara returns, then like that kind of complicates matters too because it gives you kind of a natural place to pivot here. But I don't know. It just it's. The, the water's a little bit muddy right now as a Dan O'Chara, but I also think that he's certainly earned the right to make that decision as you yes. kind of alluded to. So, yeah. um, and I don't think he, he certainly doesn't make them worse if he comes back or anything like that. You know what no. I mean? Like, and, and I, I do think, think he, he benefits them if he's willing to take, you know, if he takes a lesser role. Plus, I mean, unless he's absolutely terrible, even if he stays on that first pairing, like McAvoy has become so good that he's going to make up for it. Well, and this, I've said this a few times, and I know it kind of sounds like a backhanded compliment, but like, as long as Chara stays in good shape, which you know he will, like, his length will help him. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say, as long as he stays six foot nine. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, you know, gone, not that he necessarily could do this much, anyways, but like, okay, gone are the days of him being able to, like, chase down Connor McDavid on open ice, but like, you know, if, if that's happening, that means other things went wrong along the way. And so, like, he's – I know for some reason he's become, like, you know, the latest guy to become maligned by the fan base and people are clamoring for him to retire. That's needless. Like, he still is a legitimate first-pairing defenseman. He's not a Norris Trophy caliber player. He's certainly not in his prime anymore, but he's still useful. Yeah. So, um, but that's a it, – and this is kind of one – and. I wonder if there is – it's weird because, like, the, the media certainly was trying to hammer that message in the, the post-game press conferences. But, like, Bruins players were more than willing to go down those roads with their answers. So I do wonder if they – and maybe it's just referring to Krug and maybe Chara. But, like, I do wonder if there is something – in there that they all know and this is kind of the end and, and they're kind of trying to accept that I don't know it's it's hard to say because I, I I would not be against running it back one more year no and because my thing is like okay you're not trading Bergeron no so you've got two more years of next season you have Bergeron Marshawn final year of Krejci final year of Rask before they're up for new deals 
I wouldn't say mortgage the future for it, but I, I think it doesn't make sense right now to blow it all up because they've also designed this team so that they have young depth. So once Chara retires, McAvoy becomes the guy. You know, when right, yeah. when Krejci retires, Coyle becomes the guy, so on and so forth. And, like, once those guys leave, you're going to be drowning in cap space. Um, so, like, the idea of blowing it up doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. It's, you know. Yeah, because, like, what do you do? Yeah, it's just there's so many um, – Unknown. That's the other thing too coming out of this, and I kind of wrote about this with the through the lens of Chara. It's just the uncertainty feels there more so than ever before, which makes, I, in my opinion, uh, a reason to maybe try to to run it back if you can. But maybe you can't. I don't, you know, like Tory Krug probably gone because good for him. Go get paid. And if Chara well, retires, then you're in a weird spot. I think the only guy you can really think about the whole running it back thing with has to be Chara because. Yeah. It, once you start incorporating well, so no my point like can I just interject real quick yeah is like maybe if Chara's gone Krug is definitely gone if you're under that assumption you don't know what's happening with Rask and you realize or think you have to make big time changes to where your rosters come you know composed maybe it opens you up to trading you know other players or whatever apparently and, Patrick Liney's on the block <laughs> yeah there you go um but you know what I mean, though. Like it's yeah. if if it maybe that maybe the Bruins just decide this is not good enough. We can't lose in the second round. Let's make some pretty big changes. So that's just something I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, we don't need to go too far down this road right now. But like Char and Krug leaving would obviously have a big impact. Does open up a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and if you trust, I mean, you. John Moore can play a third pairing defense. Like I think Matt Grizzlick and Charlie McAvoy could be a pretty good first pairing. Your Zaboros and RFA. You've seen what Lozon can do. Vakaninen's played well. Like you've got plenty of left shot defensemen that if you think they're ready to make the jump, you know, you won't be completely hosed by certain guys walking. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you want them to. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's also hard to bring those young guys along if you don't have, feel like right. your two most veteran D men, but right. I mean, you're, you're going to be in a, a tough spot if you're going from Chara crew Grizzly on the left side to Chara more Lozon or some variation of that. But if that's the case, then it means you've at least probably opened up doors to, you know, improve up front like well, I was gonna say if you, that's the thing if you get that much better up front maybe it makes up for it or you actually come out on the positive yeah who knows um but yeah it it is weird it's i i think my early prediction is that we see some sort of trade that we did not see coming um i tend to agree like i there are the names that always get kicked around as guys that could be traded it would I would not be surprised if we see one that kind of raises eyebrows. Mm. Do you know um, anything? I don't know. I mean, I know plenty, but not about this. This is purely speculation. But uh, One other thing, too, I guess, before we get out of here, and this is very much tied to the future of this team. The Tuka Rask situation is going to be fascinating. I tend to think there's nothing – 
that changes. I think the contract, as long as he wants to play, I think he's the contract is what it is, and he's back. And I think that's probably the best thing for the Bruins. If you want to talk about running it back, if if he's certainly ready to go, running back the goaltending situation one more year seems more than amicable and more than doable. Well, I think you need to get an answer from him pretty quick on if he's in or out because this is a robust goaltending market this offseason. I mean, Grice in in New York is going to be a free agent. Obviously, Robin Leonard, um, Corey Crawford, Braden Holtby. Like, there are a lot of pretty solid goalies who are – Jacob Markstrom, who are going to be hitting – free agency so if if Tuga Rask is wavering at all they're they're gonna have to know pretty soon because that will obviously impact some offseason plans which I don't I, but like here's the other I, thing too I, I don't think he is no to, I don't think so either but I was just gonna say this and this kind of affects the the Chara situation as well is like we don't know what next season's gonna look like yet right so does does Dano Chara want to put in that work that he's so famous for putting in not really knowing when the season's going to start like and does he want to do it in September and October you know it's just it's got to be so weird and to not know I I don't know like I certainly wouldn't blame him if he was just like I've made a ton of money my name is on the Stanley Cup my legacy is intact adios I don't really want to do this but that's why I don't have the same kind of drive that Zidane Chara does so it's right. almost insulting to him to compare me to him uh but yeah, so I think that that's something that all of these guys have to consider if they're even slightly wavering about the future. And, um, you know, the, I think things are just going to look different in the NHL next season, at least to start. I don't see how – unless some sort of medical miracle comes out in the next few days, few weeks, it, things are probably going to look a little weird again. And, and I don't know if that includes bubbles. I don't know if that means – I mean, I'll give the NHL players credit. They seem to be pretty disciplined, so I think they could probably make it work kind of like baseball has. But, I mean, baseball has, relatively speaking. Um, but there's just a lot to consider, I guess, is a, a, my, my overall point there. So Yeah, it's going to be a weird offseason. Um, all right, one to ten before we get out of here. Uh, level – uh, what would you grade the Bruins season with 10 being, I guess it can't be a 10 because they didn't win the Stanley cup and one being complete disappointment. Where do you fall? This is including the regular season. Yes, of course. Yeah. How about a four? Wow. Which is low. And the reason being in 2018, you saw the development of a lot of guys, right? Like you yeah. saw DeBrusque become what he is now you saw Matt Grizzly make a jump. Uh, you saw Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo. I mean, Carlo was out for that postseason, but like that year, you saw a lot of those guys make a jump. Danton Heinen. Who did we really see get that much better this year? Like David Pasternak was even better, which we all kind of knew was on the horizon. But in terms of young guys like Jeremy Lozon, you say McAvoy, I think, got better. McAvoy got better. I think, like, weirdly, but Marshawn like, got better, but, like, that doesn't really, you know, to your point, right. you know. But, like, your borderline out-of-the-clouds guys where it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, because maybe I just was a moron, but Jake DeBrusque being as good as he was in 2017 and 18 caught me by surprise. It's like you just you didn't have that this year. Um and so, you know, the, the result is what it is. They were very good during the regular season. Um, you know, not their fault that things 
had to play out the way that they did in terms of the format. But I basically, this is going to be an incredibly cynical remark, but like, I think you basically just burned another year is, and again, a lot of that's out of their control. You burn a year every year if you don't win the cup. Yes. But I don't think they got that much better for the future is my thing. Um, I wonder though, was that really the, the goal coming into this year? And maybe that goal changes going into next year. It maybe it, it, it might, but I think they, so they, you go to game seven last year, you have a short off season. You say, you know, progression be damned. We're going like, this is, let's just do it again and try to get back there. And a pandemic happened. So, right. Tough. <laughs> yeah. I, and I mean, they weren't trying as many things this year as they did in 2017, 18. So like it, I know that there's a little bit of apples to oranges to that. Yeah, right. I guess that was my point, yeah. But at the same time, it's just what do you have to cling to if you're the Bruins, especially after the way last night's postgame stuff went, where it's pretty much just guys, like, lamenting the fact that this might be the end of the run for the core. And then you're like, oh, well, okay, that that might be the reality. But who got better this year? Like, are you more confident about Jake DeBrusque now than you were before the year? Probably not. You're more encouraged about McAvoy. I thought Carlo was fine during the regular season, but he wasn't great in the postseason. Um, you, you know, the, those things you think – you basically ran and you tried to address issues at the trade deadline that for now you swung and missed on. Um, so I just – you know, they're still going to be a good team. I think as long as they don't completely – blow it up and start new. They're still going to be competitive. I think they'll continue to be that way as long as Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand and Tuka Rask are hanging around. But I think Charlie Coyle, Charlie Coyle, I think Charlie Coyle has been fantastic. But like, I think you're at a place where it's like, what do you have to cling to really? Like in, in 18, I just, I remember that postseason finishing and being like, okay, they're not ready to compete with the lightning, but like you had a lot to kind of take away from. I don't have that feeling right now with that. That is, I will say that is a disappointing part about how this season ended is that you still probably didn't like you. I don't know if you closed much of a gap at all in the two years on the lightning. No, certainly say you didn't. It is weird though, because the lightning are in cap hell and like, they're probably going to have to blow it up this off season. So like, this is it for them. Sure. And they will still have important pieces, but like, and that's another reason that I think the Bruins shouldn't blow it up is because like, I don't think their division is going to get much better anytime soon. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I give it about a six, six and a half. I think they, they're a wagon. Like they look destined for another deep run. It's going to be a big among the, the Boston sports. What ifs I put this one near the top uh, when it's all said and done. I think it's one thing we're going to look back when they're raising Chara's numbers to the Raptors, it's going to be two things, right? It's going to be – or maybe three. Like, how much different would this night be if, A, you guys could have held the lead in 2013? Uh, B, what if you win game seven on your home ice, especially with Chara, where it would just affect his legacy even more when he came back and see what happens if there's no pandemic, which is uh, an unfortunate turn of events for them. So, uh, but, yeah. That's all. That's all I have. I don't know if you have anything else. No. Okay. It's, it's been a pleasure. We will be back. I don't know when exactly we'll be back, but we'll do some off-season stuff uh, once we kind of figure out what the off-season might look like. Yeah. Um, we might be. We might reconvene sooner than later to kind of discuss 
uh, wrap up uh, breakup day and, and all the stuff that comes out of that. Who knows? Off season primer. Yeah, there could be some actual, and there usually is news that comes out of that, whether it's, you know, we're not going to be able to sign so-and-so and you know where it is right off the bat or, you know, someone retires or. Well, you know, once you're out of the playoffs, you can make trades. Yeah. Injuries as well. Maybe. I don't know how that works actually this year. Can you, once you're out of the bubble, can unfit to play turn into the guy had a broken neck? <laughs> I don't know. So. <laughs> Sean Corrali was unfit to play. Oh, I meant to mention that. Uh, Sean Corrali, not there for those three games. Huge. <laughs> He's so much better than I think any we realize. <laughs> If I'm Don Sweeney, that is like high up on my list of things to do this offseason is extend him. Yeah. If you look at what fourth liners are yep. starting to get. Like you look at guys like Brandon Tanev, like even Nolachari, like Sean Corrales going to be a free agent after next season. You can't afford him, yep. especially if you bring Crude back. Like, and not to say it's going to be a completely like cap crippling figure, but like extend him now, get him for less than $2 million and keep him in Boston for the next five years. He drove the fourth line, killed penalties, and gave you roster flexibility, three things that they absolutely needed and cost them in the, you know, in the Tampa series after he went down. So more valuable than people realize. And with a, a Sean Corrali is valuable take, that's where we wrap up this episode <laughs> of the Ness and Bruins podcast. After all that's, the and gloom, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> That's Logan. I'm Mike. Uh, We'll be back again soon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll talk to you again soon. See you.